Lisa likes the window seat at night, the lights below that tell her she's nearly home. Then there's the lights she can't see, the runway lights we power to bring her plane safely into land. And because at Energia we also power all of Ireland's streetlights, Lisa's taxi home is that bit safer too. And no prizes for guessing who powers her house. Welcome home, Lisa. Energia, the power behind your power. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, it's fantasy playoff time. How's it going, man? It's going well. My teams aren't as good as I would like them to be, but I'm in, in the hunt in a couple leagues, and I squeaked in on my redraft league by the skin of my teeth. I'm not sure how I did that. My team was horrible to begin with, but <laughs> I'm pretty psyched about our guest, and I don't know that our audience is going to hear a whole lot from me. I'm going to kind of act like the audience in this one and just listen to you guys. I'm starting to get the get the fever for draft stuff, and I'm I'm about ready to learn. Yeah, yeah, me too. So uh, I think it's a great time of year to talk about that kind of stuff because we all probably have some teams that, um, you know, maybe didn't make the playoffs. Uh, I have a couple of leagues that the playoffs actually started last week and I'm already out. So uh, I, uh, I'm i already looking forward to this class of 2017. I know we've we've talked about these guys and, and just how great this class is supposed to be. I, I feel like we talk about it or mention it almost every episode, but today we're really going to go into detail as we will do uh, many more times over the next few months. Uh, but we do have an awesome guest. We've got Matt Caraccio. He's uh, the co-host of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast, focusing on uh, college football and scouting and that transition from college to the NFL. Uh, Matt used to be over there at DLF with me, and uh, he's he's just a, a a great guy that knows a ton about this stuff. We're glad to have him. Matt, how are you? Wow, thank you, Ryan. I, I appreciate the introduction. Matt, thank you so much for having me on the Dynasty Blueprint. I mean, to be honest with you, I've been a fan of what you guys have been doing all year. So just being able to sit down and share, uh, just talking football in general is really a tremendous opportunity. So I'm really excited about this. Thank you so much. Psyched to have you, man. So what we want to do today is we recently, over at DLF, um, I hosted a three-round 2017 rookie mock draft. I, I got uh, quite a few guys there from DLF, some guys from Rotoviz, uh, football guys, Roto World, several different uh, sites around that participated in this, um, this three-round draft. And, and Matt was one of, those, uh, one of those guys who helped us out with that. So we're, we're really just going to go – um, not quite pick by pick, but we'll cover a lot of these big names. There's obviously 36 players drafted. We'll do as many as we can and just pick Matt's brain on each and every one of those guys, what they bring to the NFL. And if those are guys that dynasty owners really want to target. And uh, before we get into that though, I, there are uh, a few bits of college football news that we want to focus on now that we have Matt with us. And that this happens this time of year. You've got guys uh, making decisions to go to the NFL. You have guys transferring, um, all kinds of college football news. So let's start with probably the biggest piece of news we've had so far is Christian McCaffrey, the junior running back from Stanford, uh, made it official, and he is going to declare. There were actually some reports throughout the year that uh, that he might stay in school for his senior year. There was some some concern about that. Um, 
how much his family values education and with his father being a former NFL player, money is not necessarily a, a motivation for him. So there was some, some thought he might stay, but he is going to leave Stanford and, and go to the NFL this year. So he'll, he'll be part of this draft. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit more later, but Matt, what are your thoughts on McCaffrey? He had that huge year last year as a sophomore, was a Heisman contender and it kind of fell off a little bit this year. What do you see with McCaffrey? Yeah, I, I thought McCaffrey throughout the entire season. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he took a step back in in certain areas in terms of his overall performance. But I do think that he was a guy that still showed many of the traits that I think are going to translate, you know, nicely to the next level. And, you know, I think when you talk about vision, I think McCaffrey is a kind of textbook case of a player who really capitalizes on really understanding scheme, really having good vision on the football field. And for that reason, I think his play speed is really tremendous. And I think that's where you see what is really a, a good athlete. I don't know if he's the most elite athletic talent at the running back position in this particular class, but I think his intelligence, his understanding of what's going on on the football field really accelerates his ability on the football field. And I think you see that also in his versatility. I think he was very versatile this year. I think he was one of the top players in total yards from the line of scrimmage this year. And I think he's a guy that's going to bring that same versatility to the NFL. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how that translates. I think everybody is talking about, you know, he's a, he's a, he should be a Bill Belichick pick, right? He should be a Patriot. That's who he should be. He should be Mr. Patriot, you know, with that ability to contribute both in the passing game and the running game. And I honestly think he showed that again this year. I think he's still a very good receiver for the position. I think he is a good runner. Um, he's a guy who can bend the edge, get to the outside. There's question marks about him in the red zone. I think that's that's fair. Um, but I was really excited to see him play this season. And even though he may not have put up the ungodly numbers there were last year, Stanford itself, I think, also was very limited in terms of their passing attack and what they did on the offensive side of the football. So... I mean, I don't think Stanford as a program took a step forward this year. I think they were neutral or took a slight step back. But, you know, they finished strong. It's not like they finished in a, in a horrible fashion. They had some good wins. The Pac-12 isn't, um, you know, a pushover in any way, shape, or form. Washington can speak to that. They're in the playoffs. So overall, I think that, um, you know, McCaffrey as a prospect, to me, held serve. And uh, I'm very happy to have him on any fantasy team moving forward. Um, I would have him in the top five or six picks in any league that I were in, um, PPR especially because of that versatility. So I think he's a great prospect. I'm really excited to see him take that leap, hopefully to the NFL and hopefully to a team that utilizes him properly. Ryan, you mentioned that, you know, tis the season for declarations of juniors and whatnot. And I've been asked about, you know, James Conner here in Pittsburgh a lot. And I'm just thinking the overview, not not necessarily this player or McCaffrey or anything. I'm just curious your guys' take, though, that running backs, I always say come out if you're a running back, you know, just because of the durability factor. But because this running back class is so strong, mm -hmm. is there a counter argument to maybe stay in school one more year and deal with next year's class as opposed to this year? Matt, go ahead. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I, Matt, I think that's a great question. And I, I would almost I would almost kick that back to you and ask a question that's been burning on my mind, given your experience and background. Do you think that there's any water to the argument that, you know, 
every draft board is relative to the given year and the given skill positions. So like you said, if a player thinks that he may be in the middle of the pack this year, is there anything to be said about being at the top of the pack next year? And like you said, is that is that something that players really consider? Is that something that you notice? Do you think you've ever seen a player that maybe went back to school and then the following year he really got boosted up draft boards? Have you ever experienced something like that? Certainly quarterbacks. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, another year of experience is really, really good on a quarterback's resume. But for running backs, I don't see it. You know, I mean, even if this class is historically good, and I'm saying I'm James Conner, and I would have went in the third round in most drafts, and I go in the fifth round of this draft, I still go, you know, because, I mean, the chances of me blowing out a knee or, you know, that much more punishment I would stand. And what's really the difference in money between third round and fifth round? It'd be different if it was top 10 pick as opposed to a second or third rounder. But in most cases at running back, I'm coming out almost no matter what. Yeah, I agree. I think those those guys have, you know, they have to come out. Um, you know, I think there's something to the theory that your body has only, you know, so many carries or so many hits. It can yeah. And, you know, if those are if those are hits at the NFL level, carries at the NFL level, obviously you're getting paid for those. I think any running back that, uh, you know, that's that has a chance really should be in this class or, or should come out as soon as they can, I guess. And, you know, back to your all's point, we've seen it go the other way. We've seen especially, you know, Matt, I said you. I know you said uh, you've seen quarterbacks who have boosted their stock, but we've seen guys like Matt Barkley. You know, he was he was supposed to be the uh, you know the number one overall pick, and he went back to school and and you know fell way down the boards. I can't even remember what round he was selected in, but uh, it certainly it certainly wasn't the first or first overall. So you know, we've seen those things go both ways. Um, no doubt about it, Ryan. But I have one more point on that: is I think it's easy to say. Liner, Barkley, whoever, that guy is going to be the first, you know, he would have been the first round pick or first overall pick, but they haven't really dug into him yet. You know, I mean, we all know that he, you know, comes up with one, once he actually is declared and is in the draft, all of a sudden you start to see a lot more warts coming back from scouts. And, you know, I mean, it's easy to say, boy, he'd be in the mix, but I'm not sure it's always the case. Yeah, I agree. And that's that's actually a perfect segue to our next topic. We want to talk a little bit about D.D. Westbrook, the Oklahoma wide receiver who had just had a fantastic uh, final season. And now, you know, now that we're starting into this uh, draft time where um, all these players are analyzed and overanalyzed, now the negative things are coming out. So uh, reportedly there's concerns about Westbrook's size, his durability. Um, he did get hurt uh, in the their last game against Oklahoma State. Matt, are those things that worry you about Westbrook from what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, D.D. Westbrook was a guy that I got kind of hip to a little bit later in the season, and it wasn't for a lack of production or highlight reel-type catches that I've seen on ESPN. It was more or less a, a type of availability and time constraints. I just hadn't had a time to watch him. So um, – in the last week or two, I noticed that his name was obviously kind of climbing into the Heisman candidacy. He's now one of those five final players. So I had a chance to go back and, and watch him. Um, you know, from the wide receiver position, from from what I think of him, and again, it's, it's not a, a total evaluation, but my thought of him is I see him very much in that same role potentially on a team as like a John Brown 
or a, or a, uh, a vertical threat, like maybe like a Tyler Lockett, where you, I think Tyler Lockett is maybe a little bit more of a well-rounded receiver, but D.D. Breastbrook to me seems like a guy who needs to work in space. You know, there wasn't really much exposures that I could find where he's working against press coverage and the types of situations that you might see at the next level. So I, you know, for me as a, as a, as a player, I see a great vertical threat. I see a little bit of precociousness and advances as route running ability. I see him definitely aware of coverage and where the leverage of the defender is and trying to get that guy to bite, let's say, on getting him to bite on a double move or a mid-stem move. So seeing him being able to do that, you know, there's definitely a smart player there who has an understanding of the game. But I, I don't I didn't get enough exposures of him going over the middle of the field in congested areas where a linebacker is gonna really be able to kind of tee off on him and he's gotta make that kind of bang bang play and catch the football, let's say, for a, a chain-moving third and three or third and four type reception. You know, I mean, he played in the Big 12. The Big 12 is notorious, as we all know, for being very lax in coverage and defense. And he had a lot of off-coverage situations. And a lot of that was him just trying to, to, to just push that cushion of that defender by just accelerating. And he could do that. He's a fast player. But I just... I just didn't get a great sense for how he's going to work in those physical one-on-one -on -one scenarios. I, I don't. I'm concerned about that because of lack of lack of examples and observations. And to see other analysts, you know, kind of mention it, it doesn't make it true or false. It just makes it a question that I think we all got to kind of answer as we go through this process. Matt, one thing along those lines that I learned when I was, you know, with the Browns was. I spent, you know, several hours with each position coach right after I got hired. And one thing that the, the receiver coach really stressed, and you, you learned, you know, hanging out with other scouts, was watch every snap at the college level you possibly can of tight press man coverage. Because there's just not many of them out there. And, and value those snaps as an analyst as much as you possibly can. It would be one word of advice to you. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Matt. And that's something that I, I really wish I had more of for him as a player yeah. because that was something I really I couldn't answer. And you know it's going to be a physical game at that next level, especially with those press corners and really getting off the line of scrimmage. And that was the one area I wasn't really sure about. And we saw that a little bit last year with Josh Doxson. Press coverage, really tight man coverage along the sidelines. He could get redirected and pushed out of bounds. So, I mean, you're right. A hundred percent you're right. I really have to look forward to that as I kind of do more work. All right. Let's get into the actual uh, mock draft that we did. Um, again, it was three rounds and um, a, a 12 owners in this draft. So um, before we go into some of these specific players. Matt, I want to know from you, and, and this is one of the big questions on my mind as I do these mock drafts and, and just really think about this class. Where do you see the end of that top tier? How, how deep do you think that top tier players go? So including all the positions, for me, I would say after, you know, after Mike Williams, so I think after about four players, that immediate top tier of total talent where I feel like now we're going into that next tier of talent or maybe a higher risk category is a better, maybe a better word for me is, is kind of the break point. I think for net Dalvin cook, Mike Williams, and I, I'd, I'd even throw in a player like uh, like McCaffrey or a player like that, where I, I feel very confident about their skill set, And I think that provided that they're, you know, their landing spots are conducive um, with, with good, 
solid uh, opportunity. I think those guys are have a great opportunity to get immediate snaps as starters. Even Corey Davis, I would put into that tier as well. I think those guys ooze kind of like immediate opportunity. After that, you know, you get into my favorite position in this class, which is the tight end position. I think the tight end position is a very, very um, strong, strong year. But I, I mean, Matt, I'm sure you could speak to this as well. Getting a tight end on the football field is is a very big challenge as they transition probably from college to the NFL. Is that a fair statement? Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I think it's absolutely one of, besides well, quarterback, obviously, but I think it's the most difficult offensive position to come in and play right away. And, and we can get to these guys, but from what I've understood, you know, just from listening to people I respect, it sounds like Howard and Butt are, you know, they're playing for Harbaugh and they're playing for Saban. That mm-hmm. They block. You know, they're not just spread glorified receivers from what I understand. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. I That's think huge. they're – Yeah, yeah, they're combo – they're definitely potential combination tight ends, um, especially Howard. I've seen him do a lot of variety of blocking because – of just the variety of running schemes that they do run at Alabama. Um, I've seen him, you know, in line. I've seen him in a wing back position. I've seen him on the line of scrimmage, off the line of scrimmage with good angles and good leverage with poor angles and bad leverage, really having to contest and block against good defensive ends, you know, very good linebackers or even out in space on a safety. And I've seen him in a variety of scenarios. And, and I think that really is something that a lot of teams are probably going to gravitate towards just, just because he has some awareness of how to do each of those things. And then you put in the fact that he's an outstanding athletic specimen from a wide receiver position. And he's a guy that I really like as well. And Jake, Butt, I agree same along the same exact lines, they've just done so much as a blocker or experienced so much as a blocker. So Matt, we'll, we'll stick with the tight end position for a second. We mm-hmm. talked about OJ Howard, Jake, Butt. Um, there's also Evan Ingram who in our mock draft, he was actually the first tight end chosen in the early second round and then there's also uh, Bucky Hodges from Virginia Tech who I think is pretty well regarded both Hodges and Ingram there's been talk that maybe they could just switch to a wide receiver position like kind of like Matt said just playing a glorified uh, wide out so of those four guys if we're talking dynasty football specifically which one of those guys are you targeting I would take Evan Ingram seven times over I love Evan Ingram. I feel like he's just one of those players. I hate to be a fan. I mean, you know, you try to be like impartial and you're like trying to talk all technical and this is exactly what I say. But you know what? In all honesty, I really love his game. I think his ability as a wide receiver is really what separates him. I mean, he's 6'3", 235. And the way he moves on the football field at that size is pretty is pretty impressive Is for that position, whether it be tight end or you're talking about, you know, just a, a wide receiver, even if he was just a wide receiver. And and he's probably smaller about, than Kelvin Benjamin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know? yeah, I mean, and that's the whole thing. It's I, I think what's so impressive is not whether or not he's a tight end or a wide receiver, but even if he is one or the other, he's still just an impressive athlete in what he does as a receiver on the football field. And I think that's going to get him immediate snaps, whether in packages, sub packages, you know, 12 personnel, two tight end set, whatever you want to do with him. I think he's a guy that could immediately be an offensive coordinator's kind of weapon when it comes to any part of the football game. Will you know blocking? He does have limitations. I saw some issues with him really kind of holding the point of attack when he was dealing with bigger, more 
athletic defensive ends and D tackles, but, you know, climbing up to space, climbing in space to the next level and making blocks. I saw some concerns there, but as a receiver, I, oh man, what he can do as a route runner at his size, what he can do with separation, quickness, explosiveness, it's really an impressive thing. I would, I would really, really, really be, he was a guy that I was thinking that I might take in the first round towards the end of the first round. That's how impressed I am. Now, if he goes to a situation where it's not conducive with him as being an immediate threat, maybe they have a, you know, a really entrenched tight end already. Maybe he goes to the lions and he's got to climb over Eric Ebron or something of that nature. Then maybe you readjust, but Evan Ingram is the guy that I'm, I'm really excited to see where he lands because he's a guy that I would try to gobble up everywhere in PPR leagues. Well, it seems to be awesome about him, just the more I learn, is it doesn't matter. I mean, if the team he goes to uses him as a receiver, for fantasy reasons, as long as he has TE next to his name, you can start right. him at tight end. You That's know? right. That's right. Give me any of those guys. Yeah, I'll right. take those guys. Um, yeah. But, yeah, love him. I did see a, a recent mock draft, and of course there'll be a million more of those before uh, the real thing in in April. But I saw a mock draft that had Ingram going to Dallas, which would just be you know fantasy goodness. Oh. Well, because yeah, I mean, he not only does he have an awesome veteran in Jason Witten there to kind of shepherd him into the NFL lifestyle and you know just lifestyle and overall play style. I mean, but he's also there immediately with an established offense. You know, you can't really lock onto him. He'll have an opportunity to go one-on-one with linebackers. And I think he's going to be lethal when that happens. And he'll be that type of guy that can, can really uh, make an immediate impact at the next level. So yeah, he was a guy, honestly, to be very frank, complete disclosure. He was a guy that I was almost a little bit upset that I didn't have an opportunity to get in that draft. I thought for sure in that round, he might've dropped a little bit to me and I can just get my guy, but uh, it didn't happen. Somebody, somebody obviously got him a little bit before me. Ryan, before we get to the receivers and other positions, I just want to tell people about Harry's. We got a couple of seconds just to tell everybody about Harry's. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I, I shave with them every day now. It's fantastic. They have a, a holiday thought starter kit going on right now. You know, guys can be hard to shop for. And for you that you don't know, I mean, they make razor blades. They make fantastic razor blades at a cheap price. It's fantastic. But talk about finding the right gift for a guy and that can feel impossible. How difficult it is to find something that a, a thoughtful gift but is also useful and practical? Well, this is it. You know, that when what you love most about shaving with Harry's is I have really sensitive skin, and it doesn't bother me at all. I used to use an electric because of that, but it wasn't as close. These, these blades I get a lot of use out of. They're very uh, well-manufactured. They're phenomenal. Um, they have a limited edition set and special offer going right now, too. Uh, if you haven't heard of them before, Harry's was started by two best friends, Jeff and Andy. They were fed up with being overcharged for razors, so they started their own razor company to give people what they deserve, a great shave at a fair price. And Ryan, I had a conversation with the Harry's people a couple weeks ago. They have this huge factory in Germany um, that there's like a restored, I think they used it for the war and things like that. that They restored just for these razor blades. Really cool. And uh, they're offering a limited edition shaving set right now. Midnight Chrome razor handle. We can get engraved with your initials if you want. Three of Harry's German engineered five five blade cartridges that provide a close, comfortable shave. Foaming shave gel that smells amazing. I can confirm that. Beautifully designed gift box. Goes for 30 bucks on harrys.com. 
They offer also offer handles and sets starting at just ten bucks if you want to try if you haven't tried Harry's for yourself. But there's a special offer. You get five bucks off when you use our code Dynasty at checkout. You gotta do it. This ends on December 9th, my dad's birthday, by the way, in case you want to get old Terry Williamson something to, for his, his birthday before we go over there. Um, go and enter the code Dynasty. Get five bucks off. That's harrys.com, Dynasty. Let's move back now to the top of the draft. Uh, I think there's, Matt, a, a kind of a growing debate between a pair of running backs and, and which one really should be uh, the top dynasty asset. Of course, I'm talking about Leonard Fournette, the LSU running back, Dalvin Cook, the Florida State running back. Fournette's already made his announcement that he is uh, actually declaring. I don't I don't think uh, Cook is going to stay in school, but he hasn't made it official yet. Um, but just talk about those two running backs, which one you value more from a dynasty perspective. I, I You know what? It's ironic because – I don't know. I mean, this is kind of one of those admitting, like, you know, I got to admit the truth here. I had one of my teams actually in a dynasty league is in the process of kind of rebuilding. So I actually ended up with the first overall pick um, as I started to kind of trade away assets to garner more picks, this, that, and the other thing. And I have the first pick and I am in quite a dilemma here, you know, in terms of Leonard Fournette and Dalvin Cook. Uh, I watched Dalvin Cook. I see that explosiveness and that versatility in the passing game. I see that ability to really break off those big runs. He's got that burst and home run type speed that you want to see, I guess, to, 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 you know, take a single run and stretch it into a touchdown. And then with Leonard Fournette, he's not without long speed. He does have long speed um, and good burst, but I don't think it's at the same necessarily level as Dalvin Cook. Um, but his size and his ability to break tackles and his ability to really get small between the tackles for his size was really pretty impressive to me. And he's got that, I mean, that that I, I know it sounds silly, but he's just a guy that I, I think at the NFL level, I think his body is built to withstand the punishment of being that that really that 20, 30 carry back that you just have to kind of line up behind and kind of salt out a game or even just dominate an opponent that doesn't really have a great run defense. I think he has that type of durability um, as a runner. So it's tough. It's tough for me. I think if I had to choose in a dynasty, strictly fantasy perspective, I may be more inclined to go Dalvin Cook because of that versatility as a receiver out of the backfield. Um, but it's going to be a challenge for me. I'm still weighing my options, to be honest with you. I'm more inclined in my leagues to go after a guy who I think is going to be a receiving threat as well as a good runner. And and that's what I think Dalvin Cook can bring to the table at, a, at at least a a, a markedly higher level than let's say Leonard Fournette might be able to. Matt, a couple of thoughts on that. Yeah. Or I would imagine landing spots going to be huge then. I mean, that could probably be your tiebreaker. If one of them ends up in Oakland or, you know, some great yep. spot. It, um, comparing it to last year, I'm not comparing these prospects to Elliot, but it mm -hmm. sure seems like, you know, you can make a case for either one at one where clearly Elliot was going first in every draft. Is mm -hmm. there as big a gap? from Elliott to the number two pick last year as there is from two to three this year? No, I, I, I don't, I don't think there is as big of a gap at, at, at all. I, I think, I think actually, excuse me, let me rephrase that. I think there is not a large gap between 
any of the top three players at the running back position or even the top five players as there was at the running back position last year between okay. Elliott and the next best runner. So I think Elliott was – even he was in this class – I think Ezekiel Elliott, for me, might have fell behind some of these guys. And that's I know that's blasphemy. I know right. that people will reach out to me and tell me I'm crazy. But, I mean, just trait by trait, skill by skill, I think there are guys that, that might eclipse Elliott in certain categories. Um, but Elliott has him in other categories. So it, it would have been right there. I think Elliott would have been a top five guy for me. But uh, I'm not sure he would have been my number one this year. Yeah, I agree as far as the depth of, of the – that top tier. And and that's really why I started with that question. I wanted to see what your thoughts on that were. And we'll see if all these guys actually declare um, Cortland Sutton, the wide receiver from Southern Methodist of the guys that were taken in the top half of the draft. He's the one that I, I could certainly see him coming back or going back to school. He's a red shirt sophomore. Um, his, his coach just signed an extension. He's not going anywhere, even though he was kind of a hot name in the coaching uh, the coaching searches of some of these bigger schools. Mm -hmm. So I, I could see Sutton going back, but if all of the guys come out, in, including Seth, Sutton, I, I think you can just throw the top six or seven guys in, you know, in a bag and pick one yep. as of right now. So that is why, you know, the combine and, and especially the draft where these guys actually end up is, is going to play just such a huge role this year in determining the exact order within the tiers. So let's let's move over to the receiver position for a second. Um, in our draft, Corey Davis went at the 1.03 pick. He's the Western Michigan receiver. Uh, Sutton went fifth. Mike Williams of Clemson went sixth. And Juju Smith-Schuster went seventh overall. So um, if those four receivers do come out, who do you like of that group? And, um, and just what did you see from any of those guys that st stood out to you? Yeah, I, I still think that I'm going to be, you know, kind of riding that train or, or that train for Mike Williams. I, I really like Mike Williams as a prospect. Um, I think he's got long speed. Um, I don't think Matt, he can has... I stop you real quick? Yes. It, it seems to me as, as an outside observer that most, you know, Todd and Mel and these guys have Williams as the top receiver coming out. Is, is it kind of shocking that he fell all the way to six in this draft? Yes, for me it was. I, yeah. I he was a guy that would have been. I mean, he was a guy that I think I would have had above a Corey Davis or above a player like you know Cortland Sutton. But that's not to diminish or or disrespect anybody that chose those players because I do see where they could fit at the next level and where they could be very, very, very prominent. But I think Mike Williams for me just has a skill set that just really speaks to being a great wide receiver on the outside of the numbers, a player that you could probably line up against a team's best corner and have him be able to win that 50, 50 ball against him and the safety. So he's that type of player that I think could, could win almost in a double team type situation. And I think Cortland Sutton can do that, but I don't think Cortland Sutton necessarily is a polished route runner as Mike Williams. I think Corey Davis is a more polished route runner than Mike Williams, but I don't necessarily see that body control vertical threat type of receiver that's going to be able to win against two six foot or six one DBs. So, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that those guys aren't going to be successful, but I think Mike Williams really speaks to being that true on an island type of wide receiver that could go to the next level and be that quarterback's go-to guy in the red zone, 10 yards out, has to make that throw and just lay it up there on that fade and see if he can go up and get it. And he just speaks that type of 
uh, level of consistency to me from what I've seen in college. So that's what I think of Mike Williams. I, I'm on that train. He's the more prototypical number one, you know, and in terms of attributes of all these guys. I think so. I, I would think so. Yeah. I think that's kind of how I kind of let the dust settle because I think there's a lot of talented wide receivers here for sure. Matt, we've had this conversation before. I think actually when I was on your all's podcast uh, a few months ago, but you know, Corey Davis at Western Michigan, Sutton at SMU, those guys are not, they're just, they're just not playing the same schedule as some of these power five schools. Does that concern you uh, that level of competition? Um, does that take away anything from um, the type of prospects they are? I, I For me, I think it, I think there's going to be, a, it has to be noted. I don't know if I necessarily will swing an evaluation entirely in my eyes in one direction or another, because I think if you kind of, you know, deconstruct the position into the traits that they have, you know, how do they look on change of direction? What does their separation quickness look like? What does their route running look like? How do they catch the football? If you, if you deconstruct the position, I think into the traits that make it up and you try to try to match up players trait by trait, I think you can somewhat mitigate that, that level of competition to some degree. But I think for those players, seeing them on the all-star circuit at the shrine game, seeing them at the senior bowl is really going to go to great lengths in swinging or finishing the evaluations on those players, because you're going to have a chance to see them against top defensive backs that are NFL caliber. And you're going to have a chance to see if what you saw in the preseason or saw against a team that wasn't, let's say of a, a caliber of an Alabama or an sec style team. I think you're going to have a chance then to better understand whether or not those traits that you thought were very strong are still strong or if you've seen that there's some weaknesses in their game and I think that I'm really excited to see where those guys do against really top level competition on the all-star circuit I think that's what I'm really looking forward to doing to see what they do but I, I don't I don't ding a guy for where he played it's more or less like did he just did he show the level of skill to play at the next level and how strong was it in these particular areas at this particular position. And if I think it's a very good one and comparable to a player in a different division, that's stronger and tougher then then I guess so be it. I mean, I'm still learning, you know, I mean, this is all still new to me. I mean, as I'm learning through this process, I mean, Matt, you could speak to that probably just as well. How did you go about breaking that, that tie? If there was a player that you really liked that was on a, a small school type circuit in a, in a non power five conference versus a player that was in the power five conference. Did you ever, how did you begin to parse that out or play tease that out? Yeah, it is difficult. I mean, there's no doubt about it because you know, if you're at Bama, it's hard enough to even get on the field, you know, and the corners you play every day in practice are going to be NFL players. Where if you're at, you know, Western Michigan, the guys even on your team and you're playing against are accountants or ditch diggers or roofers or whatever, you know, they're doing something else for a living, most likely. Um, a couple notes, I would imagine, you know, that Davis and Sutton, they wouldn't be in this conversation, but I assume they dominated that the the people they played against, you know, that they were consistently the best player on the field. And if the answer to that's no, then then I'm really worried, you know, that if he's a great physical specimen, but can't beat up on Akron, who I was director of football ops, I'm just throwing them out there. I'm not throwing them under a bus. Um, but for example, like my first year with the team, I was with Duquesne and we had a corner named Lee Bodden who played in the league eight, 10 years. 
And he was by far the best player in our conference. I mean, a tiny little school. And Lee had to play 70% and still shut down anyone we wanted. You know, like when you watch the tape and you say, boy, I mean, he's so much better than everyone else out there. I think that goes a long way. And then certainly the senior bowl and the circuit after, I think has a lot to do with it too. Yeah. And you know, another player that comes to mind, that's going to be interesting to see since we're on this discussion is Taewon Taylor from Western Kentucky. He, he kind of falls into that category as well because I watched him against uh, Alabama this past season and I had a chance to watch him and, you know, he was taken off. He was taken away for a good portion of that game until he finally broke out later on in the in the actual game itself. So it made me wonder, like you know, how is he going to do now as the as kind of this process begins to come to a close on the All Star circuit? I, I just think what happens sometimes is we as as dynasty players, maybe even as as fantasy football writers, sometimes we just try to you know we outsmart ourselves by trying to find this next hidden gem and and plant a flag on, on somebody that nobody else has even heard of. And, and, you know, sometimes that works out. Sometimes that small school guy comes out of nowhere and, you know, we can pat ourselves on the back, but a lot of times, you know, it, that just goes nowhere. And I, I don't think that's the case with Davis or Sutton or, or even Taewon Taylor, but you know, I think it's a long off season yeah. <laughs> you know, January yeah. and February and March and, you know, dynasty owners are sitting around and, and, you know, just trying to fill their time sometimes. And we just come up with these these scenarios that are just not very realistic as far as some of these players hitting. But let's get, let's get back to the draft. Our first round um, finished up with – we had McCaffrey going at eight. We've already talked about him. 9, 10, 11, 12 were Royce Freeman, the running back from Oregon, uh, James Washington, Oklahoma State wide receiver, Alan Lazard went 11th. He's actually already made his decision to stay in school, so we're going to skip over him. And then John Ross, the breakout wide receiver from Washington, went 12th. Um, Matt, anything stand out on any of those guys to you based on what you've seen or from a dynasty perspective between uh, Freeman, Washington, and Ross? I think out of all those players, I think I'm I'm very excited to take a chance maybe on James Washington. Um, I like James Washington, and he's a guy that plays you know bigger than his size. He's not a, a huge uh, you know physical specimen, but he's one of those players that a lot of people will attribute or uh, liken to a Steve Smith Senior type of player that he could play physically outside the numbers. He's good against the press. He's good in 50-50 ball situations. He's got definitely some thickness to him from a physical perspective. He's not a, a you know a diminutive, you know, lanky wide receiver. He's got some physique to him. Um, and he's a guy that, you know, is is explosive in and out of his breaks. I think his, you know, his route running is something that's still developing. But he's a guy I'm very intrigued by, especially as I move forward and kind of do a lot more work on him. But a lot of the a lot of the time that I've watched him, um, I'm impressed with what he can do given his size. And um, he looks like a player to me that is that could be a very versatile offensive weapon for a team that loves to run, you know, three and four wide receiver sets, which is most of the league. So, I mean, like he should, he might have an opportunity, I think, to, to really kind of come on as the draft process keeps going. Let's get into our second round now. And, and we've already talked about a couple of these guys. The first pick of the second round was D.D. Westbrook. Uh, the the Oklahoma wide receiver again. I've seen him in kind of that late first round, early second round range. That's a little rich for me. 
Uh, Evan Ingram, you already mentioned him, went 2.02. <laughs> Big heart around him. Big heart. Exactly. Put a star <laughs> by his name. Uh, the third pick of that second round was Deontay Foreman, the running back from Texas. He's already declared. I, I believe he led the nation in rushing this year. He had over 2,000 yards. Not quite an out-of-nowhere season for him, but I don't think – I didn't expect that type of production, especially as much as we saw uh, Texas struggle this year. What are your thoughts on Foreman? I know, again, I think this might balk at what a lot of people are going to say, but I, when I watch him, I see a player that might be being pushed up a little too high for me. I think he's a very good north-south runner, a guy who has the size – I mean, he's six foot. Uh, 240, 241 pounds. I mean, you're talking about like, you know, LeGarrette Blunt style type numbers, you know, six foot 250. You're talking six foot 240 right there. And he's a guy that, you know, has good bursts for his size. He's definitely got good thickness. His change of direction is a little bit more limited for my, for my taste. I think LeGarrette Blunt is a guy who is more, has good has better lateral agility had better change of direction behind the tackles but he but he seemed to he seemed to read the line of scrimmage from what I saw pretty well he made decisive cuts up field he didn't really linger in the backfield and dance he was a one cut runner planted his foot got north south and he used his size i think he knows who he is and i'm wondering because of the team the style of team he played for the league that he played in the numbers that he put up are people going to you know suddenly attribute him with you know being a you know bell cow type running back when i think he just might be a very good part of a committee like the you know you know the you know uh, I'll give you Jordan Howard was a guy that came to mind when I was watching him. I thought he looked a lot like Jordan Howard to me in terms of his running style and Jordan Howard's translated fine. So, I mean, I could be wrong. I didn't, I didn't love Jordan Howard, but he translated fine. I mean, but is he Jeremy Hill? Could he be Jeremy Hill to somebody's Giovanni Bernard? You know, could he go to the, you know, my, my co-host Paul Pertichese and, and I are no, no secret that we're big giants fans. Could the giants predictively go and get him and pair him with, you know, Paul Perkins, and now you have a committee situation where one is a little bit more of your change of pace, kind of get outside the numbers, Paul Perkins type of back, and then you have a really downhill runner that can really just punish opposing defenses. Could they do that? I don't know. I mean, I don't see him as a three-down, all-purpose back. I think he's more of a guy that will be a good part of a committee and find work early on in his tenure in the NFL. Can he catch the ball at all? I mean, obviously that's crucial in today's NFL. And is his ceiling maybe Eddie Lacy? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's a great question, Matt. From what I saw, he definitely caught a lot of passes out of the backfield, several passes out of the backfield that I was able to observe. He had some good flexibility in his like upper torso, so he was able to maintain speed, catch the football, and be a threat. But I don't see him necessarily as a receiving threat like, let's say, you know, Jeremy McNichols or somebody who's going to be like a, you know, a Joe Mixon. I think he's he's I a dump think, off guy. I mean, he's yeah, not attaching yeah. like Le'Veon Bell and running receiver routes or anything. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you're in a two minute drill saying my go to yeah, back yeah, yeah. in that offense is going to be Deonta Foreman. But I mean, then again, who knows? Who knows what's going to go on? But I, I, that's not what I saw from him. Man, I think your point about, you know, maybe he's more of a committee back is a good one, and I agree with that with Foreman. But I also think, you know, once you get into the second round of rookie drafts, all those guys are committee backs. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, somebody can't come in and steal a job like we've seen with Jordan Howard, but I don't think you're not 
you're not grabbing a guy thinking he's going to to be a starter um, at, at that point in in a rookie draft. So, um, you know, I think that early second, mid second round range is is probably pretty fair for Foreman. But mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think some people may even take him later in the first round. Yep. The next guy that came off the board at fourth is is a guy that I think so many people have soured on, Malachi Dupre from LSU. You know, he was for those of us who play in Devi leagues, he was once up in that Fournette Cook tier that he was one of the elite players in this class. And now, you know, unless unless things go really well for him over the next couple of months, he's not even going to be a first rounder. Um, what what happened? Was it just the quarterback play? That what happened with Dupree this year? Honestly, you know, Ryan, I mean, listen, full disclosure, everybody out there knows like the best film that we have to work on is sometimes just high high school highlight reels when we're trying to judge whether or not a guy is coming out and going to be a, a starter as a freshman. And then, you know, whatever our good friends at Draft Breakdown produce, that's pretty much the sum total of everything. And that and, and we're all, you know, we're all learning as we go. And Malachi Dupree was a guy that I acquired very early on in his freshman year from anywhere I could have gotten him because he had such elite body control coming out of high school. You just saw absolute you saw the the physical frame, the length, and the ability to really tiptoe along the sideline and make catches that you were saying, this guy, if he could put on, he's gonna put on a little weight, he's gonna stay with that six four frame, and this guy is just gonna be with that body control, he's just gonna develop into a monster. And LSU, I mean it's you know, you know, it's been that way for LSU for the duration of most of Les Miles' tenure where you know, they don't really use the passing game as the mainstay of their offensive attack. They were a team that really used that I formation, that Leonard Fournette, pound the rock, pound the rock, and really use play action sparingly. And I, I was really hoping this year with the with the commitment to potentially changing that offensive system that we would get a chance to see if Dupree would develop. And the one thing that really didn't change for me, Ryan, is I never really saw him develop that explosiveness in and out of his breaks as a route runner that I wanted to see. I was hoping to see a little bit more Mike Williams and not to say Mike Williams is an explosive player in and out of his breaks, but I was looking for something where if he can catch you, he'll make you pay for it. And I didn't see that type of change of direction from Malachi Dupree that I wanted to see. But he's a good receiver. He'll go over the middle of the field. He'll make catches in traffic. He's got good body control. His long speed and 40 time, I think, are going to go a long way to deciding whether or not a team takes a chance on him. Um, but I think he's going to get a team that's going to buy in on him because his his spark score was unbelievable at a high school. His vertical jump as a 18 year old freshman, I believe, was like a 42 to 44 inches. That was his vertical coming out of high school was somewhere between 42 to 44 inches. So, I mean, he's got that explosive 50-50 ball type threat that I think some teams are going to covet and take a chance on. So maybe as a draft prospect, his best days are ahead of him. Combine, pro days, you know, those type of things. Yeah, it could be. It could be. I, 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 my, only, my only concern was, is he going to advance as a route runner in order to stay clean at the next level, shake those defensive backs and create separation. That was my only concern. Does he have that ability to change direction at speed? Could he jump for the football? Yeah, I think he can. But where does he go from there? That was my only concern this year. 
Let's run through the rest of the picks in that second round. And Matt, as I go through there, what I'm going to ask you is which of these picks did you love? Which which was your favorite pick? Okay. So 2.05 was Joe Mixon, the Oklahoma running back, pass-catching guy who's had some off-field trouble. 2.06, Curtis Samuel, kind of a kind of a slash player, running back, wide receiver, does a little bit of everything for Ohio State. Baylor wide receiver KD Cannon was seventh in that round. OJ Howard was eighth. You've talked about him a little bit already. Isaiah Ford, the Virginia Tech wide receiver, was the 2.09 pick. 10 was Wayne Gallman, the Clemson running back. 11, another Oklahoma running back, Samaj P. Ryan. And Taewon Taylor, the Western Kentucky wide receiver, you mentioned earlier, was the last pick in the second round. So from those names, which which just screamed value to you? Which is a player that you might be targeting in that same second round range? I I think I think the the player that screams that screams high risk high reward is Joe Mixon. That's the player that screams high risk high reward to me. Um, obviously, a birdie told me he might be the most talented back in the whole draft. <laughs> yeah. well, is, is that true? I I could I, be. I think his physical traits at the position are second to none in this class. Okay. I think his traits at this position are second to none in this class. I think it's going to come down to football character and whether or not an organization feels that he's moved on from uh, any concerns off the field, and, and we'll see where that goes. But he's a, he's a high-risk, high-reward pick in that round that I think is, is great value to take there because if it works out for him, and I hope it does, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a horrible situation that, that, that we're in with this, but if it, if it does work out, I think he could be a very, very good competitor at the next level. If it doesn't, you know, you may end up being a, a player that, is of no value. Who knows? And, and Mixon is a uh, junior. I think, well, actually, I think he's a redshirt sophomore, uh, maybe. Uh, he is not declared. Um, same thing for uh, Perrine, excuse me. He is not yep. declared. KD Cannon has not declared yet. So a lot of these guys were still kind of waiting to see. Uh, Matt, the answer there was Wayne Gallman, who I got with the 10th <laughs> pick. That was my pick. Um, and <laughs> You know, seriously, Gallman is not necessarily a guy I love, even though I do love watching that Clemson team. But he's a guy that in these some of these mock drafts that that I've seen and that I've read, he's a guy that usually goes at the end of the first round in, mm-hmm. in these rookie dynasty mock drafts. Mm-hmm. And so to get him at, at the end of the second felt like a great value. What do you uh, what do you think about Gallman? I, I like I like Wayne Gallman. He's a guy that I think, um, you know, I I know this is a a a, a comp that. Again, I, I'm not really good at comps. I don't really, I can't really do them that well. Um, I hate them. But <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's just not something. But to just give maybe a, a context to give you a frame of reference, he was a he was a guy that really much reminded me of a better runner between the tackles version of a Kenyon Drake, in the sense that he could can, he could be very versatile as a pass catcher. He could also be a guy that can run between the tackles. I think he was better than Drake was at Alabama between the tackles. Um, I think he's got great competitive toughness between the tackles. If a guy is tackling, you see those those legs pumping like pistons to drive forward for extra yardage. He's not a guy that ever gets stopped in his tracks, at least reluctantly, never gets stops in his tracks he's a guy that i think at the next level i could see him being part of a committee he was actually one of the last guys ryan if this makes you wonder where my head was at he was one of the last guys in my mind that i thought could be a three down back he was one of those last guys in my mind that i said he has the versatility and skill set to be a three down competitor it's a matter of 
does it all come together for him at the next level? My concern with him was he made some poor decisions at the line of scrimmage. His his decision making in between the tackles at times it seems like he would he would try to you know run up the backside of his guard when the hole was clearly closed. You know, was that an admiration? Was it not? These were trying to, these are things that you, that you want to, I wish I had like all 22 film to look at, you know, and then really see what I could see. But, um, that was my concern was decision-making vision. Um, is that, was that just, was that there? Was that not there? That was why I said, I'm not sure if he's going to be a three down back, but he has traits to very much, you know, compete. Yeah. He, he just seems to me like a guy who as a running back does everything pretty well, mm-hmm. but n- nothing really stands out as far as, mm-hmm. you know, he's a great pass catcher or he's great yep. between the tackles, uh, just a, a well-rounded guy, but maybe not a player that stands out in any way. All right, let's finish up with the third round. We'll run through this really quickly and kind of the same thing, Matt, just pick out one or two players that stand out to you for, for whatever reason, good or bad. Uh, the 3.01 pick, another Clemson player, Artavis Scott, the, s- the slot wide receiver. Uh, Jordan Villeman, Oregon State wide receiver. I think he's probably going to stay in school if I had to guess. Uh, 3.03 was Zay Jones, Eastern Carolina wide receiver. Uh, next, a, a running back, Elijah Hood from North Carolina. Kareem Hunt, Toledo running back, was fifth. Alvin Kamara, he's a junior for Tennessee running back. He's already declared. Cooper Cup. Eastern Michigan wide receiver, 3.07. I know a lot of people love him. Um, Jehu Chesson is Michigan wide receiver, 3.08. Corey Clement, 3.39. James Conner, Matt, you spoke about him earlier, 3.10. Jeremy McNichols, another running back. And then the last pick of our draft, uh, Syracuse wide receiver, Amba Edatowo. I probably butchered that name really badly, but uh, he, he put up a monster game. Oh, yeah. He's the one that killed Pitt? Yeah, I think he had – The uh, craziest game I've ever seen, yeah. I think he had five <laughs> touchdowns maybe. So I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, put up some major numbers on his way out of Syracuse. Um, Matt, anything on any of those guys, again, good or bad, that stands out to you? The guy that really stands out to me is a guy that I wish I would have drafted. I don't know if I'm giving anything away, but I wish I would have had a chance to draft him was Alvin Kamara from Tennessee. I really like Alvin Kamara. I've watched a number of Tennessee games this year. Uh, sometimes evaluating, sometimes as a fan, it's it's sometimes it's hard and difficult, you know, with uh, the busy lives. I'm sure we all leading, we're all living off the screen here. Um, Alvin Kamara is a guy who. I just watch and Jalen Hurd and all the issues surrounding him this year, his injuries, and obviously his, you know, uh, leaving the team this year. Kamara, I had a chance to watch very frequently, got a lot of work, and he was a player that ran very well between the tackles, showed very good skills as a wide receiver, and I I really, I, I mean, I know this is a bold statement, but I, I honestly, we talked about Joe Mixon and his talent level Man, I don't know if Kamara is light years below him. I think Kamara could be right there in terms of athletic ability as any other running back in this class. And he just happened to be sitting behind a five-star recruit like Jalen Hurd, who, you know, Tennessee for the most part was very hell-bent on giving the football on every down to establish their passing game. And they didn't use that versatile kind of multifaceted back that Kamara was, but he runs tough. He pushes the pile. He's a guy that I think can take a head-on tackle and fall forward for extra yardage. He's he's a very, very, very intriguing talent that I wouldn't be shocked if teams begin to fall in love with him more and more 
as this process goes on. He's a guy that I, I'm, I'm earmarking somewhere and everywhere just to see what happens. And if his landing spot is great, he's somebody that I would definitely advocate to try to take a chance on. He sounds like he's going to be a good combine guy. Is that your thoughts on him too? Yeah, he looks yeah. like he's going to be a good combine guy. And and you know what? I hope for a player like him who has had limited work over the years, I hope it ups his draft stock. I hope somebody says, wow, let's go take a chance on him. We could we have a little bit of a, a dilemma here in the running back position. Let's see if he can kind of take over. He's a guy that could very well do that. Matt, before we wrap up, was was there any player who was not drafted in this uh, in this mock that you would maybe – you know, suggest our listeners keep an eye on over the next few months. And Matt, along those lines, did any quarterback cross anyone's mind? Oh yeah. I right at my last pick in the third round, I was like, man, I don't know if I can let this guy go, but I, I did because I'm just from a fantasy perspective. I know that getting a quarterback that I'm going to be able to latch onto for 10 years is a shot in the dark sometimes. You know, it's whether or not the organization, the coach, everything, the players around him match up, whether or not he's going to be able to kind of immediately spark fire. That's going to be a huge thing for him. It was a player I was thinking of. Deshaun Watson came across my mind. His versatility as a runner and also as a passer, I think is going to give, you know, offensive coordinators hope that they could sculpt him into a future star. You know, maybe they see a Marcus Mariota or a, you know, or a, you know, uh, another, you know, Robert Griffin, the third that they can say we, we could do right by him. We can make this player multifaceted because he was a guy that did a lot of running at Clemson. He ran between the tackles. He took a punishment and he held up, you know, and in, and in terms of him as a passer, I think he's a, gr- I think he's a good passer. I just think that sometimes you'd question his decision-making or his competitiveness. There's a lot of ambiguity there. I think amongst people is whether he's being too competitive. Is he trying to force the ball to make a play or is it just a, a mental lapse that he's having. You know, I liked Deshaun Watson. He was a guy I was thinking of right there. And another one was um, Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams, running back Jamal Williams. uh, He's a guy that I just, I watch him. His change of direction, the tightness within his feet where which he can change direction, speed up, slow down, burst, acceleration, size. He's a guy that I think is very intriguing. He was a guy I was jockeying between him and Deshaun Watson and my pick at that round. And I really just I just erred on the side of caution. And I said, you know, here's a guy that I think is going to have a, an opportunity to play. Um, and I think the position is a little bit more uh, safe than, let's say, uh, a running back position or a quarterback position. So I, I went with a guy that I, that I liked. So that was that. <laughs> All right. Well, Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, giving us some great insight on these, these college players. And as I said, we'll, we'll have so many more shows focusing on this 2017 rookie class. We'd, we'd love to have you back sometime soon. Uh, before we, we do call it a night, uh, just tell our listeners where they can find your work. Sure. Thank you, Ryan, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on this evening. You can find uh, any of this type of chatter. We do this at the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. You can find it uh, at Saturday to Sunday football.com. Um, the number two, not spell out the number two. And, um, you know, we're trying to do a weekly podcast. We tried to keep up all college season. We did one for each week previewing as well as recapping with an NFL rookie report. And um, we're really trying to stay as far ahead as we can given our resources 
with the players that are on the horizon. The stars of tomorrow today is kind of our, our banter. And my co-host, Paul Pertichese, is a guy that um, I know he works with you, Ryan, at DLF. And, um, you know, we just really – we're passionate. We're passionate fans. We love the game, and we really hope we bring that type of energy to each and every episode. So please reach out to us. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Matty underscore OS, and you can find my co-host, Paul, at Pauly23NY. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. All right. Thank you, Matt, and we'll be back next time with more Dynasty Blueprint.